Happy Thanksgiving. There's so much to be thankful for, isn't it? Maybe some not. Um, why do I say that? Because <clears throat> for some of us, for some of us, I think uh, today or technically tomorrow marks the high day on the calendar between today, Thanksgiving, and the end of the year, we're going to put five pounds, especially around the waist. So we happy Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving has become an industry, isn't it? It is said that in the U.S., they will spend $1 billion just on Turkey. Uh, we, the way we show we are thankful is by eating more, gorging ourselves. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. The, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the phrase Happy Thanksgiving sometimes is just telling us about thanks and about Thanksgiving rather than giving of thanks. I think there should be the simplicity that we just say thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your son. Thank you for, you know, thank you for making me your child. Or talking to each other and says, thank you for being in my life, for being an encouragement, for being a friend, for being part of the family. So Thanksgiving has become more of an event, a meal, rather than an actual heartfelt uh, gratitude. I think it's important really to make that into a lifestyle, a lifestyle of gratitude, a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And that is what we see in the life of David, as, especially as we look at Psalms. So I want to turn your uh, attention back to God's word in Psalm 8 that we read. Psalm 8 begins by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory about the heavens. I want to just pray and then we will start. Father, we, we know that this is your word and unless you open the word, there is nothing that we can, uh, we can interpret on our own. We need your Holy Spirit. So, oh God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Keep us attentive. Make us, Lord, more like your son. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. So, this is a psalm of praise. It's praise because... David is in awe of God. It's a psalm of contrast. As we go through the psalm, we will see that there are many things contrasted. Uh, verse 2 especially, that really caught my attention. It talks about the contrast of babies and of enemies. Enemies who are supposed to come shouting and avenging are silenced, but babies are giving praise and their strength in the babies. That's the kind of contrast that you will find. This is also a psalm which, is, which calibrates your heart. That is, as you read the psalm, it's going to ask you this question. Are you in awe of God? Does God catch your attention? Because if God catches your attention, it will automatically move towards a heart of gratitude. Uh, you, you might look at the psalm and says, it doesn't really talk about thankfulness and gratitude, but I, uh, as we will go through, we will see that it's the awe-filled heart that creates the gratitude. So here's the big idea. The big idea is a lifestyle of thankfulness, a lifestyle of thankfulness 
is the outcome of a heart that is in awe of God. A lifestyle of thankfulness is the outcome of a heart that's in awe of God. David is in awe of God, and as a result, you see that his whole life is filled with thankfulness. So that is what I want us to I want to I want us to look at as we come into the psalm, as to see how is it that I can get this lifestyle of gratitude. And that begins with the awe of God. So verse one, O Lord our God. O Lord our God. The psalmist begins with the Lord. That's a good place to begin. You see, it's all good things flow out of God. So the psalmist begins with God. In, in Romans eleven thirty six, it says, For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory. So the psalmist recognizes there's nothing apart uh, that he would begin with except from God. But I want you to notice that phrase, the first one, O Lord. That O Lord is L uppercase, O uppercase, R uppercase, D uppercase. It's all uppercase. That is the name of Jehovah God, the covenantal name of God. That's the name by which he introduces himself into a relationship with Israel. O Lord. And not just that, it says our our Lord, it's our Lord. There's a relationship with this God. This Jehovah God who has given this covenant, there is this relationship. And then you have the Lord, L capital. The rest of them are small letters. That's about the Adonai, the master, the sovereign. Or what David is saying right at the beginning is saying that this Jehovah God, this God who covenants with me, he is our Lord. He is our Lord. He is our sovereign one. He is the Adonai. He is the master. No one else. No one else will get this worship from our heart, David says, except for the Lord God of Israel. O Lord, our God. But then it goes on to say, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic. The word majestic, I think in some of your translation, it says excellence. That is, you see this, the, the, the psalmist is thinking about God, and he's almost, you know, speechless. He doesn't have words. And he says, how majestic is your name. This brilliance of who you are just overflows from his heart. It's the it, he is majestic indeed. But what is majestic? I want you to notice. It's the name of the Lord. So you would say, or you should say, how majestic you are, O God. But he uses the phrase, the name. You see, the name is what, what reveals character. We use that, right? Oh, he's got a bad name. He's got a good name. He's got a name in the industry. We, we use that. And, and, and so David is using the same revealed character of God. I know about this God for what he's revealed to me. Your name is excellent on all, over all the earth. Your name is excellent. But I want you to see the contrast here, which is not very, very clear till, I, till we draw it out. You see... God's name is not held in excellence among everybody, isn't it? His name is often used as a swear word. It's a cuss word. You speak about Jesus, he is not accepted everywhere. 
but his name is excellent. His name is excellent. And, and all of those, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, I know that. So there is going to come a day when they will acknowledge the excellence of God. But they are not able to join with David to say he is our Lord. I'll be too late for them. I remember a story about, um, uh, many years ago I read this about a man who, to whom was born the son, and as the son grew up, he started calling this father Papa. Very, very soon, the second child was born, and the second child copied the first one and started calling, calling him Papa. The mailman came, the mailman, mailman started calling him Papa. The milkman came, the milkman came, called him, you know, started calling him Papa. And very soon, the whole village was calling him Papa. Right? He was a Papa of the village. But one day, Papa died. They all went to the funeral. But what belonged to Papa only went to those two children. Not to everybody who called Papa, Papa. You see, and that is the truth that David is saying. You see, there are some people who might call God, God, but that is not their God. The goodness, the excellence of God, because he is our our God is our Lord. You see, there's something. When, when you, as, as David is looking at the psalm, he, he's looking around the creation and says, your name is excellent. It was um, George Wade Robinson who, who writes this in the song, Loved with Everlasting Love. What he's saying here, what he's saying is, when I look at creation, I see this now differently. He says, heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green, Something lives in every hue. There's kind of life in every color. Christless eyes have never seen. And what he's saying is, because I know Christ, I'm able to see everything else in a, with a different set of eyes. I'm able to see the brilliance of creation. And, and, and uh, David says that exactly, Oh, Lord of God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Then he goes on to say, you have set your glory above the heavens. It is as if the psalmist is going out and looking at the beauty and the glory of the heavens. But David doesn't stop at the, at the sight of the beauty. He moves past on to the cause of the beauty. You see, when you go to Niagara Falls, we look at that and it says, how beautiful this is, right? But then... Those of us who've been touched by Christ and the goodness of God, and he says, well, God, this is your creation. This is beautiful. You just move on. And we do this at work. I mean, at, at home, when you call people home for a meal uh, and, or in a potluck, you know, everybody brings in food, and you start to uh, have a particular dish. And you say, wow, this is great. Who made this? It's a natural response. But the evolutionists and people who don't believe in God would, would not want to make the connection. And David is saying, no, I'm not going to get caught by just the beauty that I see, but I want to be caught up by the person behind that, the cause of the one who created that beauty. And so that's exactly what he does. Oh, Lord, uh, Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth. You, you have set your glory above the heavens. Uh, verse 2, out of the mouth of babes and infants. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. Here is another contrast. You see, I want, I, I, um, 
uh, you can take angel if you want, or if you can take Avisha or a newborn child or whatever, take that child and go up into, the, into an open sky, look up. Look up at the wonder of the, of the sky and then contrast with this feeble little child in your arms. And that is, that's the imagery that, that David is trying to uh, portray here. It's, a, it's as if to see when I look up into the heavens and I see this beauty and this wonder, this, this awesome vastness, this huge greatness that people have not been able to measure. Science has not been able to tell the extent of this expanse. But when I look at this child, I'm reminded of God's grace even to this feeble one. How beautiful it is that size and strength does not just limit God, but he takes a simple gurgle of praise from an infant. A praise uh, that, that, uh, that words they out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength, and some of your translation reads as praise. So if you read it as strength, I want you to understand this, that from the feeblest child, he will... Um, uh, you know, he will um, establish strength to still the enemy. God's feeblest saint is enough to uh, silence his enemy. And if it's praise, then I want you to think about this, that the weakest saint, as he prays, as he gives praise to God, as he does that, it stills the enemies. They're able to see, like this, this weak child, he's able to sing loud. And that's the reason why we encourage us, you know, each of us to sing loud. Because your praise stills the avenger, the enemy. The Lord Jesus Christ makes reference to this, this verse uh, during his triumphant entry. At his triumphant entry, he's coming on this colt, on a, riding on a donkey, coming into Jerusalem. The Torah-memorizing Pharisees, people who know the scripture, they know when they look at that, it says, what, that is Zechariah 9, that's being fulfilled. But they are silent. They don't open their mouth. It's the crowd. And so they can't, and when Jesus says this, he is saying, you see, you may be educated, you may be like super intelligent or whatever it is, you probably know everything else, but then if you can't praise, you'll be silenced. Your praise, uh, God is honored by the praise of little babies, we who do not consider ourselves to be great and and strong and, and, and the, uh, you know, and, um, uh, and well-known and well-read and all of that. But as we pray, as we praise, we see God taking glory for himself. He establishes strength because of his foes. Again, the contrast here, right? The loud praise of the weak saint and this strong silence of the enemies of the gospel. So we choose ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, what is it that we, who is it that we are? Uh, how is our language? Is our language seasoned with gratitude? Is our language about thankfulness and, and the goodness of our God? Do our songs rise from a heart that's been touched and impacted for Christ? Our lives, uh, do we live a life of thankfulness? A life of thankfulness. 
we ask, you know, what, is, what does that mean, a life of thankfulness? A life of thankfulness is when someone looks at you, they're able to see that you're soaked with gratitude. Your language, your behavior, your approach will reveal that you are, are caught up by the awesomeness of God that reflects through this gratitude that you have for him. And so I wrote this quote which says, praise is, the, is viscous within an unstirred heart but flows easily out of a childlike heart. Praise is viscous. It, it, it doesn't pour. It doesn't come out easy. You, you can't drum up praise because if your heart's not stirred, it, it, won't, it won't give any praise at all. No. But if it's a childlike heart that is caught up by the greatness and the awesomeness of God, it is gratitude and praise just naturally flows. That, that's what praise is. That is how praise flow, flows out. It's not manufactured. It is the, it's the fruit of our hearts being held in gratitude. Now, in verse 3, when I look to the heavens and uh, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, the heavens, the moon, the stars, there is this looking up and there's this thankful heart of, the, of David. You see, when he looks up, he's looking at the moon and at the stars. Uh, I wonder if he caught this. He is not looking at the dark expanse. It must have been a dark night that night, but as he looks up, he's able to see the, the moon and the stars shine and its brightness and that's what catches his attention and he says those are the work of his fingers it's a Hebrew idiom to say that's a light thing for God it's like not a big deal God just can do it like that this vast expanse his attention is drawn to the right thing not to the darkness of the night, but he's setting it up for the next verse because the next verse is, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you would care for him? He looks up at this vast heavens, this, uh, uh, and that vast heavens, which is a light task. There's nothing that, you know, God cannot do and he's, he's just done it so easily. And then he looks at himself, this puny mankind, and it says, you're mindful of him. How, how's that? How's that for a contrast? Look at this, look at, there is this distance, this huge distance between the highest of heavens and who we feel sometimes. And yet when it comes to relationship, there is absolutely no distance at all. It's just intimacy, intimacy with a king of the universe. Oh Lord, our God, how excellent is your name. In all the earth. And so verse 3 there he says. When I look up one of some of your translations. He says when I consider. When I consider. I'm going to meditate on this. I'm not going to go past this quickly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about what God means to me. This great God who makes the vast heavens. With, a, with the work of his fingers. Doesn't take too much time. But here he is mindful of me. That's a good antiseptic for pride isn't it? Uh, you, you don't feel too grand when you stand out there and look up at the skies. We did this when we went to the redwoods, I remember, and, and we stood next to the redwoods. It was just a tree for crying out loud. 
or we were feeling so puny and in insignificant. And David is saying, if, if the majesty of what I see in the skies is so much, how much more the one who made it? How much more the one who's responsible for it? You see, David is now gripped by this God's tender care. I'm going to move past there. Two, two verses there in Psalm 144, 3 and 7, and in Psalm 106, 4 and 5. I won't read that, but, but it just shows of how David is meditating on this. He can't go past that because as you come to verse 5 and 8, it says, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What David is saying, it's not just that you care for him, but you crown him. How, I mean, it doesn't seem to end. You crown him, he says, and not just a little higher than the beast. We are not evolutionary beings who are at the top of the pyramid. We are not just a higher, highest beings, a little higher than the, the smartest, the, the strongest being, but we are a little lower than the angels. You see what ha what's happening here? Our relationship is measured top down and not bottom up. And this man, God marks to be his vice regent, to be his, uh, on, to rule on his behalf. We read that with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were not made the mightiest of creations. They were not made the strongest. They were not made the wisest. They were, Adam was in fact taken out of the dust. He forms man out of the dust. He breathes into the dust and into that man, he says, now be, uh, now have dominion over the earth. And that principle continues on into salvation when man sinned. When he said no to God, that I'm going to have dominion on my own apart from God. I don't want to be under you. I want to be the ruler. You see, sin is not just breaking God's commandment. It's making up your own commandments, your own rules. But in salvation, too, we see how God uses the same principle where out of nothing he makes glorious. 1 Corinthians 1.27 has this to say. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Not because you have achieved something, God is saying, okay, I know you got that talent, all right, I'm going to pick you. He is not on a recruitment drive over talent. It is grace. And you come to him to say that, oh God, I've messed up, I need your help, I just can't do anything. Right, I need you, oh God. I'm, I, I, I know as the world looks at me, they consider me to be the foolish one. I, I don't seem to have the brightness that they need. I'm not the strongest in the pack. I'm the weakest. But oh God, because of you, of you, oh the one who cares for me, who's mindful for, of me, I can come to you with the hope and the joy of being accepted by you. You see, because of sin, we are not able to say, apart from Christ, O oh Lord, our Lord, 
how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, what sin has done is that it's broken the relationship. So this Lord is not our Lord. And we don't find his name to be excellent. We're not able to bring praise out of our, to this God because of our sin. It's only through Christ. And so what the Hebrew writer does is he... He, uh, he, he, he speaks about the fulfillment of this verse in this passage in Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve were created to have dominion, but they failed. We have looked at our own lives, and we have failed. We have come far short of the glory of God. But that didn't end there. You see, God sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews, we read in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 9, quoting Psalm 8, 4 to 6. This is what we read. What is man? You see, that's a reference back again, that you're mindful of him. Or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The Lord our God, who was mindful of you, comes as an infant, as an infant. as When he was born as a child, Simeon in the temple, when he blesses the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what we read in Luke chapter 2.34. Behold, this child is set to, to the fall and rising again of many in Israel. That little child, you see, it's through the feebleness of our little child that this passage is going to be fulfilled as he grows up. And not just the birth as a feeble child, but that child would grow up to be a man. He would die on the cross. The Jews will look at the cross and say, that's a shameful thing. We don't believe that, Messiah. The Greeks will look at that and they will say, that is a weak thing. How can I even trust? Uh, I got it wrong. It's the, the Jews will look at this and say, the weak Messiah, and the Greeks will look at that as foolish. How can cross be uh, a means of salvation? How can that be the Messiah? But yet it is through the weakness, it's through that weakness that God establishes praise. He shows that for me, if there is weakness in God, if at all, as, jo as Paul writes, or if there is foolishness in, in God, if there is at all, look at the power of the gospel. That in that weakness, I will take praise. There's salvation for us and salvation for you. And in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 8, we read, he puts everything in subjection under his feet. You see, there comes a time, that again is a fulfillment of this verse, of this verse in Psalm. He says, there's coming a time when Christ will, his rule will be apparent to everybody. At this present moment, his enemies would make him a cuss word. His enemies would not trust him, would not believe in him, would not say his name is, uh, uh, is majestic. 
but he waits. He waits in grace. He waits to give them an opportunity to repent and to come and to recognize that in their own strength, they are just broken. They are, they are unable to. But as they come to him in their weakness, recognizing that, that I cannot save myself, I cannot do anything on my own. I need you, O oh God. Nothing, nothing, only you. And I come to him through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, not making up our own way. There's no possible way that I can come to God. No culture of church or practices of church will save you. No praying to saints will, will save you. No revering Mary can save you. It is Christ alone. It's Christ alone. He is the way. Jesus himself says, I'm the way. We cannot come to God in any other way. And so when we look at the cross in his weakness, and it seems like it's weak, it seems like it's foolish, God is saying to us that that's the power of the gospel and, and that through that weakness, he will destroy his enemies. And as you come to him, you're able to say, O Lord, our God, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So I plead with you. I, I, I don't know where you are in your, in your faith walk. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. God knows. I hope you're not deceiving yourself. I hope you're not saying, you know, I can get to God in the best way I can and I'm going to be the good person. No, you cannot. It's only to the weak and to the foolish who acknowledge their weakness and their foolishness in, in trying and are not able to. God invites you to come to be part of his family so that we can look now at the creation and enjoy creation. We can look up at the skies and say that the beauty of the sky is not just, just the beauty of the sky, but there is a beauty beyond that of the one who has caught my heart, who has won my heart, my affections. He is the one I praise. How majestic indeed is your name. Oh God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I pray that that truth would be your truth as you trust in Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with two questions right at the end. Is this Lord your Lord, the sovereign, the Adonai, through trust in Jesus alone? Is a lifestyle of thankfulness evident to all because your heart is gripped by the awe of God? Because if your heart is gripped by awe of something else, that's sin. If, if something else can grip your heart, much lesser, much baser than, than how, how, could you, how, could you, how could you say this Lord is my Lord, my sovereign one? It's only a heart that's gripped with the awe that will result in a heart of thankfulness. This is my prayer for all of us. May God bless the hearing of his word and make it real in our lives. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for all that you are. We thank you that your name is excellent. It's about all other names. It's about all principalities and powers of darkness. 
we will not bow our knee, we will not, oh God, even acknowledge to anything, anyone on this earth apart from you. But we pray that for salvation and salvation alone, oh God, that you would send that, 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 that your son is the only means and that he, he would come down to be one among us, weak and feeble, and through that death which is shameful on the cross, a death which is seen as being weak on the cross, and yet to us it's the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel that saves us and makes us your child. We thank you again. We pray, O oh Father, that you continue to speak into our hearts, that those of us who don't know who you are and that we will understand that, O oh Lord, that you, ought, you have to be our God. And those of us who know what it means to, to know you as their Lord, we pray that being in awe of this Lord, it will reflect into a heart, a lifestyle of thankfulness. We thank you that these things are possible as we trust and walk in your will. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name we pray. Amen.